Hello, and welcome to Evil Pudding, <laughs> I love it. a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Courtney, and this is my husband, Patrick. Hello, world. <laughs> and I have a true crime obsession, and he yeah. just simply <laughs> supports me. Obsession is a good word for it, that's for sure. And I think at times he's probably a little bit scared of me, so he agreed. I definitely don't want to cross you, <laughs> but, but you know too much about this stuff. So. <laughs> he agreed to do this podcast with me. I'm more of the technical support anyway. I'm, I'm the I'm the back of the house guy. But um, oh my gosh, it's episode one. Yeah, this is so fun. Okay, so um, thank you, Pat, for being here and adding some comedic relief. That's what I try. <laughs> and banter. That's what I try to do. <laughs> also, thank you to our one and maybe two listeners. Hey, our parent, our both of our mothers will listen. Yes. I know that's going to happen. I think so. They might not finish the whole thing, but they'll, st- they they'll might start. They might not. They might not listen to the second one, but they'll listen to the first one. <laughs> okay, so the name of the podcast, Evil Pudding. Um, I love it. There's a story behind it. We actually tried to record a mock episode of this case um, this past weekend. Yeah, it was this past weekend, and we originally, you know, we kept a bunch of names around it. We, I think we settled on Vile. Most Vile. Most Vile. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's a part in this one, you know, you'll hear it. We talk about it, and Courtney asked me, he said, what do you think was going through his brain? And I was like, man, it was like a bowl of evil pudding. Yeah, so keep your ears perked up for uh, that segment, because um, it'll be like a little treasure hunt when, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, how we, <laughs> when we hit it, how we came up with the name, <laughs> but this episode's a little different from the rest of the episodes because my plan is I don't know if it's always going to work because we are married and live together, and As it's hard to do. yeah it's hard to <laughs> keep a lot of things hidden from you. I'm at work all the time, so. But sometimes with all my research, you'll see you know what I'm doing. But the the plan is for me to surprise him when we sit down to record. Um, yeah, which, so I, I typically am going to know nothing Yeah, he's going to be going episode. in blind. And then some episodes I'll probably know a little bit about because I've heard about them. Other episodes, like this one when we first started it, I had no friggin' idea what it was. Yeah, so it's uh, going to be fun. However, so, this one, like Courtney was saying, is, is a little different because we tried to mock record it. So the first part about the first it, part, the yeah. first part about his early life is the only part I know. I don't know anything about the rest of it, which is kind of cool. It's kind of fun for me because I get to like, rea- you get a real reaction out of me and I yeah. have no idea what's going on. Um, Sometimes that's a bad thing with some of these stories, though. Yeah, you you definitely want to be prepared. But this one is gonna be this one's gonna be fun. It was a a serial killer that I had never heard about, and I stumbled across a book and I did a two month deep dive into this guy, and he was just fascinating to me. And I think he's gonna be fascinating to you guys too. So are you ready to get into it? Anything else you want to say? No, so I mean, this is this is you know, true crime is what it is. You know, we kick around the idea, and if you guys are listening and you like podcasts and you want to hear more, let us know what you want to hear more about. And then, uh, you know, there's the idea that maybe I flip the script on Courtney one time. Yes. Every once in a while. Hopefully I, sooner than later. And I'll do instead of true crime, I maybe I'll tackle a haunting that's related to a violent crime or you know, paranormal or stuff. That's more my world. Anything uh, evil. Anything evil, really. Yeah. <laughs> We're starting out obviously with true crime because that's that's her forte. So I personally think that the living are way more evil than the dead, but that's just me. Nope. But it's also nice to see. It's also interesting to see the uh, the dead and the supernatural that come from the evil living. Yep, that's very true. Very true. So it's going to be fun. I'm excited. Let's get to it. Okay, let's get to it. Today we are going to be talking about Earl Leonard Nelson. He was born Earl Farrell. <laughs> and um, I know you said you had never heard of him. No, not until the other day, no. Uh, so 
He was not technically America's first serial killer. That title goes to H.H. Holmes. Oh, yeah. Yep, you know him. from Chicago with the Murder Hotel. We'll have to do an episode on him. Um, Jack the Ripper of America. Yep, that's him. But this dude is technically the first serial sex killer in the U.S. So he was was a double doozy. Okay, so... um, Oh, by the way, if you hear anything in the background, we have four kids. And two dogs. And two dogs. So... You might hear some commotion. We, we do our very best <laughs> to keep things quiet. So um, Earl Leonard Farrell, we only know of 22 cases of women that he sadistically and brutally murdered. But I really do believe that there's more because he was a wanderer, as you will see. And his crimes stretch from California to Canada to Iowa to Chicago and beyond. Um, this case isn't very well known, but to me, he is one of the most interesting pathologies. We will always hear, I'm sure you've heard this before, that evil is a matter of nature versus nurture, right? Yep. Yeah. Is it bred or are you born with it or is it right. a combination? Are you born evil or are you made evil? I think a lot of people are both. Yep. Are both. Well, Earl is one of the few serial killers that I have come across who has an argument for both nature and nurture. So buckle up, this one's going to be wild. And trigger warning, warning, we will be speaking about a few sexually explicit topics. Um, Parental guidance is suggested. For sure. Um, We're going to start out with Earl's uh, early life before he got into the dark crimes. Once we get to the dark crimes, I'll reissue a trigger warning because he covered all of the philias, the necrophilia, pedophilia. Jeez. I mean, he was he was a monster, for sure. What a great guy. What a great stand-up guy. Earl. <laughs> oh, Earl. Um, and at first, we're going to be talking about his early life, how he came into this world. Um, I'm always going to give the necessary details, because I do want to paint a full picture of the monsters that these guys are. Um, but I still want to be somewhat respectful of the victims, for sure. Um, this was a long time ago, so I'm sure none of the victim's immediate family will be listening. But, um, this happened, takes place in, um, 1897, San Francisco, California. It was a good year. And we went over this last time, and let me see if you remember. What would be happening, Patrick, the following year in 1898? I do know the answer to this. What is it? It's the Spanish-American War. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. Very I good. know this because I did it Saturday. I, did, I got it wrong. I think I said like the Oregon Trail or something. <laughs> to, to, to be fair, I didn't know it either, so it's okay. So San Francisco, 1897. Frances Nelson, she was an English woman, a young English woman. She was raised by strict Pentecostal parents. Um, Pentecostal is a branch of Christianity, if you do not know. It is very strict. I assume back then it was even more strict. Oh, yeah. It had to be. Very. And, um, you know, the only book allowed is the Bible and, you know, the way women dressed. And I'm sure it was just very... um, Yeah, I'm sure it was very, very religious, very strict back then. Absolutely. It's still considered somewhat to this day, so... Back then, I would venture to say it was cultish without offending anybody. I'm not trying to. Um, if if, If you have more information on that, then... Feel free to correct me, but in 1897, I'm sure it wasn't. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it was a ray of sunshine. Absolutely. Okay. So, Frances Nelson, um, she reportedly drank very heavily during her pregnancy. 
And um, it was probably because she was drowning her sorrows because her husband, Spanish-born James Farrell, was never home. He was always out blowing what little money they did have on gambling and purchasing sex workers. Fantastic role model. <laughs> Fantastic role model. So why was she with him in the first place? Um, I think that she was rebelling against her strict upbringing personally, and she married a party boy. I think that's all that there is to it. Um, of course, we don't know because it was 1897, and there is no, we can't Google that. Yeah, I mean, how many Facebooks were there in 1897 exactly. showing exactly. your timeline or your TikToks? She wasn't spilling the tea tipsy on Facebook. Yeah. Updating her status. We will meet her, um, we will meet her mother, so Earl's grandmother, in a few minutes. So just hang on to that. Um, as you may guess, this was not a healthy environment to bring a baby into this world, to say the very least. If their relationship was ever good, it wasn't documented. Um, they were a match made in hell, and they had the literal devil as a son. So Earl Farrell was born on May 12th, 1897. One year before the Spanish-American War. <laughs> How did you know? I learned something. And he's a Taurus. If that matters, it I always doesn't. think it's I always think it's interesting. He's some people the, do, some people don't. He's the bull. Um, his father had obviously, well, not obviously, um, but apparently passed on an STD, at least one, to Francis because during and after Earl's birth, Francis had a raging fever as well as genital sores. I know it's so gross. Um, and you're given the time frame. Given the time frame. The time period it was syphilis was running rampant. Everywhere. And congenital. Um, syphilis was a thing. I googled it, so it, Earl was susceptible to oh, it was contracting it. We watched a couple of shows about mm-hmm. you know, doctors and stuff back then. There's always everybody had syphilis, especially when they were dealing with sex workers. Very painful. She also had red rashes on the palms of her hands and the soles of her feet, that, which is classic syphilis symptoms. Uh, as a mother, Francis lacked, to say the least. She was just not a happy, happy person. How could you blame her at this point already? Yeah, she just, she wasn't happy. She didn't like being a mom. She neglected Earl. She resented feeding the baby. All he did was cry, um, as babies do, uh, especially since his father was never present. This probably even added to her resentment of the child. Um, she didn't have that maternal instinct. We'll put it that way. Okay, one day, uh, James, Earl's dad, just stopped coming home altogether. And later on, his body was discovered by the docks in San Francisco. It was determined later that syphilis had claimed him. I can't find a lot of info on his death or the state of his body or anything like that. Because again, 1897. (laughs) Um, But he did die. And then soon after, Frances, Earl's mom, passed away by herself in the home with Earl when Earl was only six months old. So Earl was left for several days just with his mom's corpse. That is, I can't even imagine doing that. Well, he was six months old, he probably didn't remember, but still. It reminds me a lot of Dexter. Remember how he was, when um, left in his mother's blood in the first, was it? It was the first, um, it was before the new Dexter. That's how he came into this world. That's how he became Dexter. Um, Obviously, you can't remember it, but you gotta wonder, did that, mess with his psyche in any way um so jenny nelson that is francis's mother so earl's maternal grandmother she came to the rescue and um took custody of earl brought him home with her good for her um you'd think 
Uh, but no. <laughs> yeah. Sadly, I know. I just think good for her stepping up, but maybe not so good. Okay. So, early life at dear old grandma's. Jenny, like we said before, was a devout Pentecostal and deeply religious. Everything was a sin. Uh, she had two children at home, even though she was she was older. I couldn't find exactly how old she was, but she was at least middle-aged. But she had two younger children. Um, so if Earl was six months old at the time, Lillian was eight, and Willis was ten. Um, growing up, the children were only allowed to read the Bible. Um, Earl was not treated well. He was treated as a disappointment. Um, Jenny changed Earl's last name immediately, Farrell, which is, I didn't know this, a Spanish last name. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Farrell? I think it's Farrell, F-E-R-A-L. Uh, he changed, she changed it from Farrell to Nelson in order to disguise his father's Spanish heritage. We can't have that. So Earl grew into a very large boy, and he was described as having the mannerisms of an ape. <laughs> um, he did, he indeed did act feral and wild. Which is an important thing to note because you, you, you didn't bring it up this time, but he was actually labeled what was it the gorilla killer or something. He like was that? labeled the gorilla killer, but you know it had nothing to do with how how he was shaped or how he acted. I stand corrected then. I, and I <laughs> I was shocked because I thought when it I makes looked sense when he's talking about it. Yeah, maybe on one of our social medias we'll post a picture of him. He looks like a ape boy. Even as a child, he did. All right, so I'm interested in understanding uh, why he's the gorilla killer. Yeah, so we'll, he looks like we'll it, get that's to not that. The that. I was shocked. Okay, funny you should say that. He was not named the Gorilla Killer because of how he looked. He did not speak a lot, and he tended to walk on all fours like an animal. When he did speak, he would go around murmuring scripture, especially the book of Revelations, which was his favorite. Regardless of his infatuation with the scripture. That's a red flag right there. That's a dark book for somebody so young. Before the age of 10, by the way. That's yeah, what we're talking that's about. That's extremely dark yeah. version of part of the Bible. Uh, he was never able to please his grandmother. Despite he... I, I wonder if he thought that memorizing all the scripture would please her. You have to wonder. Maybe that's why he memorized it all. It was to... Because you know, that's all he could read. He yeah. wanted anyone to impress her. And he was such a disappointment already. Uh, and in my research, I didn't write this down. I don't want to lose my place, but it said that even at their family dinner time, he wouldn't wait for prayers, which was a big thing. And he would pour olive oil all over his food, refuse to use utensils and rub the food all over his face all the way up until like the age of 14. Oh, he's a wonderful kid. He was just, he was just feral. <laughs> it was a shame they changed his name. I don't know, most name. of your parents out there are like, yep, that's my kid. <laughs> yep, that sounds like a typical dinner time <laughs> right? at, at our house. <laughs> oh, okay. She was very ashamed of her grandson, which is sad. And uh, she made no qualms about showing it, which is even sadder. Yeah, that's more sad. Not yeah. just that she's embarrassed about him or whatever, but to, to actually like go out and show everyone, hey, I'm embarrassed about this kid, that's just... But I would like to remind you, do not feel sorry for this person too long. We feel sorry for the kid, not the adult, yep. right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, we, we definitely don't feel sorry for who he became and what he was, but you know, you feel sorry for any kid that's put in those kind of circumstances exactly. right off the bat because it's their, their child. So I have some thoughts about Earl. Uh, I believe that Earl suffered probably from fetal alcohol syndrome. Remember I said that his mother, Frances, drank heavily during her pregnancy. Um, I think he also had some mental setbacks due to uh, con congenital syphilis. Um, I looked up uh, the definition of fetal alcohol syndrome in adults. 
according to a medical review by Dr. Jessica Fitilla, it doesn't matter because she won't listen to this. Um, attention, it consists of um, attention, memory issues, decision making and planning problems, aggression, depression, anxiety, OCD, etc. And he definitely was displaying all of these symptoms and more for sure. Um, okay, so at the age of 10, Earl collided with a streetcar while riding his bicycle. <laughs> I still love this every time I hear a streetcar, as, as opposed street to car. the field car or the farm car right? or the road, the off-road car or the dirt car. 1900s, and it was, I mean, the wheels, because I was looking at a streetcar and the wheels are just very archaic. They're basically wood. They're just point. wood. Um, but as you will see in a lot of the episodes that we do, there is one common factor with all of these evil, evil people, and that is childhood head trauma. For sure, um, it's a very common occurrence when we when we're going um, when we're looking at all these serial killers and evil people. There's definitely something linking, I think, frontal lobe damage to the inability to control one's emotions and impulses. And Earl is a wonderful example of that. Yeah, big time. Um, so after he he was 10 years old, he was riding his bicycle. He collided with a streetcar. He remained unconscious for six whole days, and his grandmother simply just locked him away in his room and left him unconscious. So he's essentially in a coma, and grandma's yeah. like, meh, yeah. I don't want to deal with you. Well, so remember, she's there. Pentecostal back in the 1800s, early 1900s. She doesn't believe in doctors. Yeah. So, That's I mean, also why they all died of syphilis back then. Exactly. <laughs> Die of a paper cut back then. Um, when Nelson finally woke up, his behavior was even more erratic and a whole lot more disturbing. Very disturbing. He still obsessively quoted the scripture. That did not change. But now he um, seemed to suffer from memory loss. He suffered from memory loss before, but he couldn't remember anything. Uh, a few years later, he developed the habit of, this is gross, but compulsive masturbating. It was even noted at this time that Earl would be sent to school in clean new clothes. So his grandmother at least did that for him. We'll give her credit where credit's due. And when he got home, he would have exchanged clothes with a homeless man. So he'd come home in new, smelly, filthy men's, stranger men's clothes. That is gross. Very odd behavior to say that that's very odd. Um, can't imagine. Okay. So I said that his behavior after his head accident, it got even more disturbing. Um, this is what I mean, aside from the compulsive masturbating. Jenny had caught Earl several times outside of his sister, his sister aunt's, yeah. <laughs> Lillian, yeah. her room, spying on her changing. He then would soon turn his incestuous, perverted desires towards his own grandmother and would spy on her too, which is... Oh, so disturbing. Remember, he's seeking her approval and attention, and he's 14, right? So his, or, his hormones are raging. That's still gross. And so he has very misappropriated um, feelings of desire towards the completely wrong people, I think. Extremely, yeah. Um, it's ridiculous. It's disgusting. But it is what it is. We'll just move on. At the age of 14, Jenny slipped and fell in the bathroom. She was taking a bath. And she lay there nude for hours. It's speculated that she refused to call for help in fear that her wild and perverted grandson would find her. 
and he absolutely scared her. I don't blame him. Uh, as a result of laying wet and cold for hours, remember she's older, uh, she eventually caught pneumonia in the days after and died, unfortunately. Yeah, when it was 1800, you died from pneumonia back then. Yeah, absolutely. Like a death, it was like a death sentence back then. This was a huge life change for Earl, which is often the, a catalyst for a little serial killer in the making. So, <laughs> I think it definitely helped. It definitely helped. Earl lost another parent, effectively. Yep. Um, so by this time, remember Lillian was eight years older. So she was out. She had moved out, and she was married. So Earl, at 14, went to live with her. They're still in San Francisco. And as you can probably guess, Lillian's husband did not like having Earl around. No. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Thought he was weird. No. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> Lucky for him, though, uh, Earl was rarely, if ever, home. Remember I said he was very animal-like? He would disappear for days and sleep in the nature of San Francisco, which back then San Francisco, I guess, had nature. I doubt it does anymore. No, it definitely doesn't now. I don't think you want to sleep out there in no. nature in San Francisco these days. No, no, no. Uh, he just felt more comfortable out there and less judged, which I can totally see. He was odd. Remember, he was a 14-year-old kid walking all, on all fours, and he was huge. Eventually, a teenage Earl would make his way to the Barbary Coast, where he fell in love with drinking. Earl would later say that drinking calmed the severe headaches that he suffered from, I'm sure as a result from a tra traumatic brain injury. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a Which definite symptom from TBI. I can totally understand. Yeah, I can relate to it. Um, so this is when, so he's down there drinking all day and all night. Um, the prostitutes that hung around there got a real big kick out of Earl because he was an odd young man that walked around compulsively quoting scripture. Well, uh, Earl had his first uh, sexual experience with uh, an elderly prostitute. Um, remember, he's 14. <laughs> yeah, the elderly prostitute throws me off because it makes me think of some like 80-year-old woman out on the street. And there, and like guarantee said, it wasn't that old. But there was no Botox the, back it's then. It's weird. She had seen some stuff. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> so she uh, would later claim that the experience with Earl was rather violent and scary. And coming from a prostitute of that age that had been around that long, that must have been pretty bad. Yeah. Um, Earl, because of his upbringing, after his first sexual encounter, experienced extreme guilt after this. And it really sent him into even more of a downward spiral. Well, I mean, the kid grew up in a house where the Bible was right. only allowed an extremely mm -hmm. religious grandmother. I mean, everything was a sin to her. So he probably felt like he just... You know, betrayed his grandmother and did the, like the most horrible thing he could do because you don't know how she was telling him when he was younger. And you know the dark crimes haven't started yet, but you know that he probably justified this in his head somehow, where he was doing the Lord's work. I'm sure. It's just, or even just wrote it off. Yeah, he didn't care. He didn't. Well, maybe I don't think so. And you'll see that coming up. I'm just, I'm just, yeah. Even. You'll see. It's it's Who really knows how hard to tell. It's really hard to tell what he was thinking, even kind of having a rough grasp on. Well, the other thing to think about, too, is with the way his head's all messed up, possible fetal alcohol syndrome, maybe mm -hmm. side effects from congenial syphilis. Mm -hmm. and maybe this dude didn't even have the reasoning capabilities to think, oh, this was bad. No. No. Probably not. Um, but eventually, this was not enough. You know, consensual sex was just not enough to sa satiate his violent appetite. But he's not going to get too bad yet. Um... Okay, so he felt more comfortable in nature. We know that. Um, 
but he had a really bad habit while he was wandering in the wilderness uh, to find these abandoned cabins and he'd break into them and steal stuff and stay there and hide out. I mean, typical 14 year old stuff. In 1915, that eventually caught up with him and he was arrested in Plumas County, Plumas County, Sierra Nevada for breaking into a cabin that he thought was empty. It was not. <laughs> um, he was held in San Quentin prison. I can only imagine San Quentin Back then. in 1915. Yeah. Good Lord. Well, during this time in prison, he kept to himself mostly, but he garnered a lot of attention with the prisoners. Can you imagine why? Yeah, I have a feeling. I know why. Okay. Uh, he was known for his constant masturbating and incessant ramblings on the book of Revelations. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. If what you want to draw someone's attention, run around quoting Revelations while, while masturbating. Please don't. Please don't I'm do just, that. I'm just saying that's just, you want to get someone's attention, guarantee you that works. Definitely. <laughs> Please don't do that. And if you're getting a prisoner's attention, it's definitely not a good thing. I do not condone that behavior. <laughs> I don't think anybody does. I do not condone that behavior. Okay, so um, he was released. He was only held a year. So he was relief, released from prison in September of 1916. Some sources I read uh, say that he was arrested again immediately after and was jailed again until 1917 just for petty theft, but I can't really confirm. Um, it's the least of his crimes, so not a big deal. Not too interesting. Um, okay, so Earl is released from prison. He doesn't know what to do. It's 1917. The U.S. had just entered World War One. So, can you guess what Earl did? Oh, it was really a guess because we went through this the other day, so yeah. He enlisted. Where? Spoiler alert. Well, for a very short time, I mean very short, he joined the Army. And I did, I wasn't sure before, but I looked up, he did join the Army, but almost immediately deserted because he couldn't hack the PT. Yeah. I'm sure, well, he's a sick guy. So well, clearly, clear, I mean, physically sick as well. So I'm sure. So then he went and um, he deserted. Then he enlisted in the Navy. As one like him does. <laughs> I'm kidding. I love you, Navy. I was he, ar I was Army. Army. I was Army, so I'm just talking trash to, to my <laughs> brothers and sisters. But I, love I was going to say you can't say that. You're going to offend people. Oh, I can you say need it. to tell I people you're it. Army. <laughs> yeah, I can say it, man. Because if I said that. It's a lot of love. <laughs> so that to the Navy's credit, they really did try with Earl. Way more than the Army did. <laughs> Um, but as you can probably guess, Earl did not excel. Uh, he spoke to himself only. Uh, now, just imagine doing this in the... <laughs> does. <laughs> imagine doing this in the Navy. He spoke to himself only, could not follow the most basic of commands, and he spent an ungodly amount of time in the shower. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what he was doing there. <laughs> uh, the Navy tried their very, very best to give him the most secluded away from everybody else, the most menial jobs. But even then, Earl just couldn't hack it. Hey, kudos for them for trying because the they, other branches, most of the other really branches tried. wouldn't even try. I know Army Marines, they wouldn't, even, they wouldn't even care. Well, they went a step further. They were so disturbed by his behavior that um, they had him committed with the help. His commanding officers helped him be committed to Napa State Mental Hospital. So good on them. Well, he clearly needs it. Um... Didn't do much good, but nice try. E for effort. <laughs> so, at Napa State Mental Hospital, it was determined that Earl was indeed suffering from syphilis, 
as well as liver disease. And you don't even know, like, that could have been because his mom had syphilis mm-hmm. and was an alcoholic, so it was his dad. Right. You don't know if that was, you know, passed on when he was a child, but he's also out here drinking all the time. And, and going to prostitutes. Hanging out sex with elderly works. hookers. Self- sex workers. That's the correct term. You know, elderly sex workers. So she's been an elderly in the game long enough. You know she's got some she's stuff. She's got some stuff. Okay, I would almost really like to see a scan of Earl's brain. And this is where the name came from. Yeah, because, you know, if you asked me what I would so, think it would look like. Yeah, I'm going to tell you. Like? So, first thing that came to mind is like just like a bowl of evil pudding. Just a mess of evil brain and just pudding. Evil. Hence the podcast name. Yeah, it sounds like that brain's all shaken up, smashed around, all messy. It's just that evil, evil, evil pudding, pudding brain. I really do want to see a scan of his brain, though. Okay, so eventually Earl would escape three whole times from the hospital. Escape. So he would escape, they would find them. Escape, find them. Escape. And um, after the third time, the staff just stopped looking for him. I do want to put out a side note. If y'all in the background hear what sounds like snoring. It is snoring. That is the bulldog. (laughs) He is passed out. anymore snoring and it almost sounds like one of us is farting but we're not that is the dog snoring on the floor i don't even hear it i'm so conditioned he is the loudest small dog i've ever heard he's so loud i hear it now that you say it but yeah. i'm so used to him anyway back to earl okay earl so he escaped from napa mental state hospital three whole times so after the third time they were like eh, we don't need to go find him <laughs> They're like, dude, I'm tired of chasing the guy that sits in the shower for hours at a time. You go look. And quotes no. of scripture. Yeah, I'm, I'm you go good. look. I don't, even want, no. I don't know if they wanted to find him at that point. Well, they stopped searching for him because they deemed him as, quote, crazy but harmless. Which, up until this point, he really was. Well, crazy he really but was. Harmless. He never harmed anybody. Never harmed point. anybody. Um, but I do find it odd that he is intelligent enough, if you think about it, to breach a security system and outsmart hospital staff three whole times. Yeah, but, you know, like we said when we tried to, when we did our practice run on this, <laughs> what kind of security did they have in 1918? They're not, we're not talking cameras. We're talking Earl with a clipboard at the door. Steve. I'm not Earl. Steve. Steve's at the clipboard with the door checking people in. He, Jim Bob. There's probably two other dudes walking around the building, like... Fred security Smoking system. a cigarette, twirling their baton or flipping flashlight or that. That's your security system. We're not talking state-of-the-art Pentagon here. <laughs> you me. Okay, so... I hope Steve was fired for that, by the way. I bet Steve wasn't. <laughs> he probably got promoted. <laughs> probably got promoted. Um, so he escaped from Napa State Mental Institution, and no one was technically breaking their back searching for him since his records show him to be, quote, not violent or destructive. He made his way back to San Francisco and somehow was able to convince Lillian, his sister aunt, to allow him to stay with her. In some sources, I read that he was eventually kicked out of her home for attempting to assault Lillian's young daughter, but I can't confirm if that was the case or not. I would have to go out on a limb and assume it was the case. Um... This is where we left off last time. So this is all going to be a surprise to you, Pat. Yeah, and on a side note, you hear us joking around. You hear me making jokes. You know, that's no disrespect towards the crime or, oh, or the victims. Not. That's just his we younger years. this light. Well, in his younger years, there's levity. I don't know how much levity there is going Starting forward. Starting here, no more. Yeah, I mean, I don't no really know levity. how many jokes you can make going forward. I'm not going to make any. Starting here, no. I probably could because of the Army. But, you, you probably know need to make jokes to lighten it up a little bit because it's going to get real bad. I'll try to keep the, the army jokes from coming out the veteran side of me because any veterans out there that are listening to this, you know we got a messed up sense of humor. So. Y'all do. That's why I love y'all. Okay. So, 
Earl, he's now an escape mental patient and, and a two-time deserter. <laughs> one, time, one time deserter. Well, technically two, because he uh, was still enlisted in the Navy. Oh, when he, when he ran yep. away? Oh, when they admitted deserter. him to the mental institution. Um, so he needed a job. And he began going by the name, because no one's going to hire him, right? Yeah. Clearly well-qualified. Um, so he began going by the name Evan Lewis Fuller. Uh, the reason he assumed his alias was because he was scared of crossing paths with one of the military branches that he deserted. So probably not a, not a dumb move. I would say pretty smart. Uh, somehow he was able to land a job as a night janitor at St. Mary's Hospital in San Francisco. It was there that he would meet his wife. That's crazy. Yes, he actually convinced someone to marry him. Wow. Now, okay, keep in mind that at this time, it didn't say how old he was, but if judging by the year, he would be 22 to 23 at this time. Okay. Um, Mary Martin, the woman he convinced to marry him, would be 58 years old. So twice his age, over twice his age. You know what this reminds me of? And hmm. we've seen this before with other killers. Hmm. Uh, it sounds like he's trying to replicate with the elderly sex worker, his first victim. He's trying to replicate like his grandmother all over again. Oh. Which reminds me Just wait. of Ed Gein. Yes, very much so. Who, if you don't know who Ed Gein is, he's a mm. basis of Leatherface. We'll have to do him. Yeah. He, well, report on him. Yeah, he killed a cover him. whole lot of people. <laughs> And he basically skinned them alive, or skinned them. And well, don't then, give it away. No, no, I just, just want to know where they're coming from, how bad this dude was in the other place. He's skinning people alive, trying to create a suit of, basically, his grandma again. His mother, yeah. Or, or yeah, it? he's wanting his grandma. It was his grandmother. That's why I brought it up, so I wanted to finish the story it's for reference. It's so true. And you're going to really see that his grandmother, and I think even his sister, drives, spoiler alert, drives a lot of his rage killings. Well, he has, he, he doesn't, it can't be his mom and his dad. He didn't know them. He, he didn't six. know them. So it's his he's grandmother and his sister. Those were his two parental figures, I'm Absolutely. sure. Okay, so at first it or felt. first obsessions, maybe. Oh, yeah. For sure. Well, we know it was because he. Maybe that's what drove him. His, those first obsessions he could never have. So he took it out on everything else. So weird to think about. But. I'm smart like that. You, you really <laughs> are. That's why you're here. That's why I'm paying you the big bucks to be here. First of all, you made me be here, and I'm not paying you. You're tied to the chair. <laughs> Don't make me put the rag back really in your not, mouth. I'm really not tied to the chair. I'm just kidding. Okay, so Mary Martin. She bought um, me beer. Yeah. I felt really horrible um, for Mary at first, but that soon passed, and you'll see I'm going to take a while and guess. A minute. I'm, I'm actually guess this one. She was a sex worker. He was going for the sex again, and this time he killed her. No. Okay, I was wrong. You were Damn, wrong. Damn, I thought I was on that This one. is going to shock you. Okay, so um, Mary was 58 and a nurse at the hospital uh, where Evan worked. She was um, much older, obviously. So this dude she escaped mm-hmm. from a mental institute to get a job changed his a, name to go work in a hospital? As a night janitor. Yeah. Oh, okay. And she was a nurse. I was like, how did he get hired? I wondered that too, but I mean, it was crazy. Um... She thought Evan, remember Earl, he changed his name to Evan, to be a bit simple, but he was kind, quiet, and a good worker, according to her. So everybody says. Mary was being deeply, she's deeply religious. Um, she did not take kindly to his sexual advances when they got a bit closer, but 
His keen ability to recite the scripture word for word gave her hope that he was a strong, faithful man of God. Well, hopefully he's reciting one revelation at this point. <laughs> I think, I think, I wanna, that I think that's away, all he knows. I think that would scare away any, even if you're deeply devout and no one, the only thing they're talking about is revelations and the seven seals, like, you might run if away. If that's the only part of the Bible you know, uh, I question you. At least he's not doing it while chronically masturbating at this point. Like, like he was in prison? Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. So um, they started having little rendezvous in the cafeteria on their breaks. So scandalous. So scandalous. And he would wait for her after her shifts. And uh, he eventually proposed to Mary, and they accept, and she accepted. And the two of them were married in August of 1919. If I took this entire story and cut two minutes out of it, I'd be like, oh, that's cute. That's but I so know this cute. dude's not a good dude, so I don't even want to attempt to go there. Well, the drama is just so real here because, okay, so uh, their very first night together as a married couple. Okay. I would like to preface this, this by saying. This is where it's going to go bad, I can tell. That Mary was a virgin. She was a 58-year-old virgin. She had never been married. She was saving herself for marriage. So she was an old maid at the time, right? And um, so she had no frame of reference for how things were supposed to go in the bedroom. Okay. Um. Their first night together was arduous. Uh, his, he violently took Mary and showed little concern for the pain that he was putting her through. He ravaged her for hours on and on and on. I won't go into all the details, but um, it's important to know, like I said, she was a virgin up until that night. Um, she really didn't know enough to object. She had some suspicions that his sexual performance was unusual. <laughs> uh, but she didn't have any frame of reference to compare it to. The marriage carried on like this for a little under two years. Uh, and in May of 1921, Evan Earl actually left her. She st she was going to stick it out. Well, that was her husband. You know she was at the bar that night like, whew. No, not her. She's she's very laced up it, and prim and proper. I would think at that point, oh, with that him, point just dealing with him that long with that stuff already. Um, honestly... She needs to thank her lucky stars. Bye, Evan. <laughs> Bye. Bye, Felicia. Bye, Felicia. So, side note. Um, and spoiler alert. Evan, or, or Evan, Jesus. Earl goes to trial eventually for his crimes that we're going to cover. Um, Mary was actually at his trial to support him. I, I don't know why. Well, if he hadn't committed those crimes, right, right to that point, he was just... A little off with his mm -hmm. sexual activities that he was doing with her. Mm -hmm. and she probably still saw him as that sweet, simple, innocent young dude, and maybe she was there to support him. But maybe I think a lot of her was there to like see: is this the real stories? Is this the real person that I was married to? So you hang on to that thought right there, and we'll see if you're right or not. Yeah, I mean, because if she thought that of him, maybe she didn't believe what she was reading about or hearing about, and wanted, yeah, to, wanted to go see it for herself if that was the real person that they were talking about. That's a possibility. We shall see. Actually, sooner than later, we shall see. Um, so or here, here or here. Let's <laughs> see what I did there. Here with your ear balls. That was stupid. I'll go home now. You are home. here. You're, you are home. home. There's nowhere to go. <laughs> okay, this is where the dark crimes begin. Um, so trigger warning, trigger warning, trigger warning. We're going to be covering sexual assault, necrophilia, pedophilia, all the philias. So please um, don't skip. But I mean, skip if you have to. Obviously, if it's something that's going to upset you. Yeah, we or, don't want to upset you. but or, or, or trigger something or, or just you're very uncomfortable with 
absolutely. I mean, we no, don't want no, you to no. skip. We want you to hear the content. Scary, However, no. but we don't want to upset you. We don't want to set anything off. So feel free to skip as you want. I will tell you, you're probably going to miss right most of the rest of the podcast from yeah, what I understand. Yeah, the rest is pretty gnarly, but um, but uh, it, it is what it is. And I'm, I obviously he has 22 victims. I can't cover all of them, but I did pick a few Ooh. of the key ones. Uh, 22 known victims. There might be more. Um, That's a, especially back then, right? They didn't yeah, really document gonna, anything mm-hmm. well. No, middle, you're talking about the middle of the Great Depression after World War One, and a lot of these these cops didn't never wanted to um, link him to the murders because they wanted to name thing you know people committing suicide and it wasn't a murder because they didn't want serial killer on their hand their town hands. They were lazy, mm-hmm. you know. They didn't want to do the work or they didn't want to bring the controversy or whatever whatever it is. Yeah. So who know? I think there was lots more, but because he was he was an, just crazy. You know how most serial killers have a cooling off period. Period. Not this dude. I mean, he's just like, bam, bam, bam. Crazy. Okay. So, first crime. Let's get into it, or we're going to be here all night. Uh, I'm going to be here all night anyway. First crime was a fail, but it was bad. Yeah, you are going to be here all night. You live here. Well, you're tied to the chair, too. Tied to the chair, and I live here. (laughs) Send beer. This is a big trigger warning, because it's a baby. It's a 12-year-old Mary Summers. Mm. So Earl, fresh out of his marriage, as in the same day he left his wife, as in the same day he left his wife, which was May 19th, 1921, he was roaming the streets, still in San Francisco, looking for trouble. Um, He was hunting, I think. Clearly. He stopped at 1519 Pacific Avenue. Uh, He knocked, and a young Charles Summer Jr. answered the door. Earl stated that he was a plumber here to take a look at the boiler in the basement, which everybody had. Charles Jr. let him in, not knowing any better, right? Pointed him in the direction of the basement and then went about his business. Charles was a teenager. It didn't give me an age, but I assume he was a teenager because he was just older than Mary, it said. Um, so Earl was left alone in the damp, dark basement. Soon... 12-year-old Mary Summers came bouncing down the basement stairs, having no idea. So I just did the math in my head. He's like 23. Yeah, Yeah, Earl. Yeah, Yeah, he's 23, maybe 24 at the very most. Yeah. Okay. So um, Mary came bouncing down the basement stairs, having no idea that he was even down there. Uh, Earl instantly grabbed Mary from behind. Uh, Remember, he was in the pitch black, so he could. And he began pawing at her with his huge, disgusting monkey hands and tried to disrobe her. But Mary was kind of a badass. Her and her brother were both badasses. Uh, Mary was feisty, and she screamed her head off, which alerted her brother. Somehow Charles was able to fight Earl off, which, wow, because Earl was not a tiny dude. I mean, I'll show you pictures. He's no, but at the same time, this dude. is the first time he's escalated this, so there's probably some fear there. Some, For sure. So, so he... Do me a favor. While I finish this one, look up a picture of Earl Nelson, the gr- just gorilla killer. Gorilla killer. And tell me what you think about how he looks. Okay. Um, so, Charles was a badass, too. He held on to Earl's sleeve and refused to let him go. Earl did strike Charles, though, and obviously that knocked him unconscious. So, fortunately, by this time, the screams had alerted neighbors, and they had called police. And then the police showed up. Good yeah, he's a big dude. He was scary. His hands look like his hands were boxes. huge. Yeah, they were huge. He looked like a gorilla. He really no, his did. hand is his literal hand is bigger than his head. So imagine getting knocked the hell out by those hands, 
little Charles. Because he was a teenager, you know? He looks like he looks like a monkey. He does. He, that's why shape, I assumed. He looks, looks kind of looks like a gorilla with big hands and That's why I assumed he was called the gorilla face killer. Looks, hmm. uh, so the police were alerted because of the screams and all the commotion uh, by neighbors. After running from police, he was eventually apprehended and thrown in a jail cell for the night where he reportedly, get this, spent the night screaming, Earl, at the top of his lungs at, and I quote, the faces in the wall. He's not well. Uh, let me guess, they let him go and didn't send him to the, the shike ward like they should have. Oh, get this. The next morning, he was sent to St. Mary's Hospital for a medical and mental evaluation where, ironically, the nurse was... Don't tell me it was his damn wife. His wife, Mary. <laughs> Holy crap. What are the odds, right? Okay. I, could, well, I can't Maybe back then, the small town, yeah. Uh, she was befuddled, to say the least, um, once she learned her husband's real name and obviously how evil he was. So she, he was... He was outed. To her. Oh, so they realized that he was who he was. And it, he was also outed as to having attempted to rape a 12-year-old little girl to her. Yeah. So that's why I just can't, I can't even believe that she would support him. Even, you know what I mean? It's just crazy. Yeah, that's not what I thought it was going to be. Um, yet somehow this woman thought it was a good idea to campaign to the courts to treat him as a mental patient and not as a criminal. And the courts listened. And he was once again sentenced or admitted to Napa State Mental Institution, where he escaped three times prior. No, I can see that because he doesn't have, <laughs> he doesn't have a violent record, and he's in there singing, screaming about. I see faces in the walls, and he's mm -hmm. got a record of being in a mental institute. Mm -hmm. And his wife sitting there saying, "Hey, he's, he's crazy. crazy. He's mm -hmm. not dangerous." They're like, "Okay, he's not evil. He's just crazy." So, back at Napa, his doctors found a whole new happy little nest of mental disorders really that he suffered them? from. Yeah. This is going out picking up new mental disorders? Yes. Okay, cool. And these are, the, and it's so funny because, you know, it was back in the early 1900s, um, old 1920s. Um, so his new mental diagnosis was to include, but not limited to, depression, psychosis, and nomadic dementia, as well as syphilis still. Uh, syphilis was the big one that was really eating at his brain. Well, that's what it does. Mm -hmm. it, back then, that was the problem. Is it would eat, it eat parts of the body. You said it goes, it was the nose, the, the ears. It was turning his brain into evil pudding. And it literally was, it was literally making evil pudding. Yep. So this time, however, his stay at Napa State would be different because Earl was now noted to be dangerous and he was kept under lock and key. Well, yeah. Things are different now. Tried to hurt somebody this time. For a year, he received daily doses of a medicine called Salversan, which is an anti-syphilis drug that kept his manic outburst under control, which is good. We're making progress. He was very quiet, very stoic, probably due to the medicines, but he eventually began to refuse treatment. Um, can you guess what happened next? They released him? He escaped. Oh. <laughs> Can you believe it? A fourth time. That I can believe. I just figured they were going to be like, oh, he won't take drugs. Go home. Now, they don't know how he escaped this time. Um, they knew how he did it before? Apparently. Oh, okay. They just never corrected they it. They just didn't fix the problem exactly. after three times? Or he just kept finding new ways to escape. He escaped. Uh, I, I said he escaped, LOL. <laughs> My notes. <laughs> this is true. 
I just hope one day I don't read my LOL. Like, LOL. Anyways. Uh, he escaped November 2nd, 1923, and orderlies uh, went to Earl's room to find his bed empty and that his bed had not been slept in. It was never determined how he managed to slip out. Again, he was under lock and key. So, Okay, here we go. So, this is where his... You say that like we haven't gone through attempted no, 12-year-old gets, rape. It like... gets worse and worse. Oh, I promise gosh. you. Okay. okay. Now his dark crimes began. <laughs> because he's been so good up until began this point, or right? escalated? Like, you know what I mean? Like... Escalate is a good word, but now he's more successful in them. His darker he's learned. Um, he's had a lot of time to plan, right? He's been locked up. So, Clara Newman, she was a lovely 62 year old woman who successfully ran multiple boarding houses in the Bay Area. She was said to be frail, however, she had a sharp business sense which gave her an edge over the landlords in the area. She stayed at one particular house located on 2037 Pierce Street. Um, I was looking up since, okay, you're going to see, spoiler alert, that all of his targets from here on out run border houses, boarding houses. Easy access. Well, and I was looking at why there were so many boarding houses back then, just out of curiosity. Um, I read it was common um, in these days for boarding houses to put up a room for rent sign. Um, according to primaryresearch.org, a growing working population in the 1920s were desperate for affordable housing while families were in need of extra income. So overall, boarding housing served to solve so many of these issues back then. And many of these boarders became, you know, members of their family during that time. Unfortunately, though, the room for rent sign would also attract the unsavory characters. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're going to see here for the rest of the episode. Well, Earl of took does. full advantage of yeah, this. Yeah, that makes sense. You, you, that room for rent sign is just like, hey, you got a cheap mm -hmm. room, and you're used to people coming right. and going as they please. Right. And we're talking about the 1920s. We're talking only about what, four or five years before the Great Depression, before the stock market crashed. So it wasn't an easy time to make a living and provide for. Yep, 1926, so two years before the Great. Wasn't it like Great Depression? 1928? 29. 29. So, on February 20th, 1926, Earl knocked at Clara Newman's door responding to a room for rent sign. Clara was busy cooking herself a sausage on the stove, which I just think is so sad. Um, but just a she, single sausage? No, for her lunch. It's, it's adorable when you think about this little lady sitting there, or elderly lady sitting there. On her stove. Cooking a little sausage for lunch. Um, she paused. She turned the heat off to answer the door. And this ape-like stranger was standing there. Uh, he said his name was Roger Wilson. He introduced himself politely in a soft-spoken voice and shook Clara's frail hand. Always wanting to help people, Clara invited him in to see if he would be a good fit for the boarding house. Okay. Sounds like a great one. As she turned, Earl immediately didn't even <laughs> wait. Earl immediately lunged forward, wrapping his massive hands around her small neck and bearing her down to the ground. Earl had learned from young Mary Summers that if you let a victim scream, it can cause a bunch of trouble, right? So he knew to immediately silence his prey now. After little effort from a massive Earl, it's not going to take much for Earl to hurt her, he succeeded in strangling Clara to death. He's just sick. Uh, he picked a dead and limp Clara up by the throat and carried her by the throat. I don't know why that bothers me so much. That's a, that's a gruesome image. Ugh. You got a big dude that's strong enough and big enough to pick strong somebody up by their throat and he carry him. Even, like, what if somebody else was in the house? He's like, oh well. But now he's, like, and it's also the image of you know not only the, the brutality and the strength, but it's like the the metaphor that 
freaking animal. Doesn't even think of her as a person. Mm -hmm. It's like it's like a thing. Just to grab it and take it. Object for his pleasure. Um, so he carried her up the stairs by the throat uh, to the apartment that she was renting out. The room for rent. And there he raped her corpse. Um, when he was satisfied, which I'm not going into the gruesome detail, but he spent lots of time with these people. Um, when he was satisfied, he cleaned himself up and walked down the stairs. And he ran into Merton Newman, Clara's nephew, who was just getting home. He was also a boarder at her home. Merton said, can I help you? And Earl said casually, please tell the landlady that I will take the room for rent. And then confidently walked out. Wow, that's why the boarding, boarding he learned the, that's where he learns the boarding houses are perfect for this. Perfect. So Merton, of course, then found his aunt's ravaged body splayed out like, quote, and this is a direct quote from the police, like a common horse on the bed. That's so sad because you know she was a proper older woman, you know. Um, I would probably guess that this destroyed him. <laughs> I mean, it would destroy anybody, but in my opinion, and this is what you were saying earlier, in my opinion, Earl's acting out all of his sick childhood fantasies about his grandmother. And in this case, you know, in the case of Mary Summers, his fantasy is about Lillian. Uh, his he, grandmother was probably about, you know, 60, 65 yeah. when she died. Right, right. So, I mean, it fits perfectly. Um, it's also worth noting that Earl had felt during this time that the Lord moved on him to commit these crimes. The Lord presented him these women. So it was their fault for being in his path. Wow. I've seen I've heard that one a few times. Um but if you see from here on out he's he's gonna target wham ladies and sometimes uh, young children, but they're the creepy part is he really likes to wait until he kills all these women before he rapes them. Um I, I feel that that's because he needs to be in complete and utter control because he was and also because he was shamed his entire life. So he does feel shame, I think. I think. So the shame because they're, they're dead, they can't notice it. Right. But at the same time, they're, he's in control because they're not going to fight him. Exactly. It's also important to note that all of his, the houses that he hits, the boarding houses, he robbed every single one of them. And I assume that was to fund his travels, if I had to guess. Um, okay. So, as we're seeing, Earl had many aliases, but you're going to see that the newspapers gave him multiple names as well. Um, already? Already. So, word around the Bay Area was there was a madman on the loose who practiced necrophilia. And you can imagine back in 1920. Oh, the frenzy yeah. that that caused. They weren't as hardened to that stuff like we are these yeah. days. Uh, and this, of course, sent people into a frenzy. And he was coined, at that time, he was called the Dark Strangler, which is just super boring, if you ask me. That's so boring. I could come up with so much better. Um... Like the Night Stalkers, his original name was, you know, Richard Ramirez. It was like, it was like the backdoor burglars. It was so stupid. I'm like, that was bad. That's weird. Well, yeah, some of the some of those nicknames too are terrible, horrible. Even though even the really good ones, like. Really... Well, if you think about it, even the Gorilla Man kind of sucks. <laughs> the Gorilla Killer. But that doesn't make sense because when you got Zodiac, he left the Zodiac type, so the riddles. Yeah. You know, the Coed Killer killed Coeds. Mm -hmm. The I-95 Killer. Killed on I-95. You shall see soon, though. It's coming up why they call him that. I promised you earlier on that we're going to find out why he's called the Gorilla Killer. Yeah, please do. Okay, so um, he murdered Clara Newman, unfortunately. Uh, two weeks after Clara Newman's murder, the Lord moved on Earl to strike again. I'm being sarcastic, As he way. does, right. As I'm, he does. I'm being very sarcastic. <laughs> 
Um, he evaded he evaded the frenzy in the Bay Area by heading to San Jose, where he bought a black suit and a Bible and decided to pose as a trusty, dusty Bible salesman. Not bad, because he can probably quote half of it. He, well, at least Revelations, right? Um, 63-year-old Laura Beale would be Earl's next victim in San Jose. Laura was strangled with the belt of her very own housecoat while showing Earl her spare room for rent that was being advertised in her window, just like we saw with Clara. Mm. Um, again, This is disturbing because it shows his rage to me. Uh, again, Laura was very frail, and a lot of force was not needed to kill her, but Earl chose to use all of his brute strength. And like Patrick said, he saw the picture of his hands. They're huge. He choked her so hard that the silk belt from her housecoat was embedded into her skin. Wow. The coroner, get this. The Oh, this messed me up. The coroner would later say that if the perpetrator would have, wouldn't have been distracted with other pleasures, he most likely would have decapitated Laura completely with a silk belt from her housecoat. That's an insane amount of... Pressure? Rage. And Both? Yeah. So, yeah, the years of feeling like a failure to his beloved grandmother bubbled over in a fury of rage in each of Earl's murders, but it was clearly seen here, I think. Yeah, a little bit. Um, Good Lord. So, after he was certain Laura was dead, he did the same thing. He took pleasure with, with her corpse. He's disgusting. Um, police were starting to put the pieces together. Okay, so San Jose police wants to determine that, because the, the weird thing about all these murders is that the postmortem rape, right? That had occurred. So they immediately linked Clara Newman's murder to Laura Bills. Um, the newspapers went absolutely crazy with speculation. Here we go. This is how he got his name. The newspaper went absolutely crazy with speculation as to who this dark strangler may be. Rumors begin to spread of this assailant not even being human and possibly having escaped from a traveling zoo of sorts. Thus, the name Gorilla Man and Gorilla Killer was coined. I can see how they think that. Yep. If, you, if you're choking someone with that kind of force. Brute force. That's, that's, that's almost inhuman. Yeah. Like, that really looks at like a supernatural or an animalistic mm -hmm. level of strength. So, Earl wanted to escape the onslaught of attention that Laura's mur murder was garnering. Yeah, dude doesn't want attention. So, he hopped a box train. That's what he does. He likes to ride trains. To was it was the cheapest, especially if you just like, yeah. hitchhiked on the train. It was the cheapest way to get from one place to another back then. Uh, yeah, and he was on his way back to San Francisco, where we know of one murder that he committed. That was uh, Mrs. Lillian St. Mary, 63 years old. She fits the vic victim profile perfectly. She owned a boarding house, and she was unfortunately overpowered, strangled, then raped when Earl came responding to a room for rent sign hanging in her window. This one, this one's tough. Um, Miss Ollie Russell in Santa Barbara. Earl was now a major topic in the Bay Area papers, so he relocated to Santa Barbara. At that time, uh, Santa Barbara was a world away from the hustle and bustle of any city. People even left their doors unlocked at night, which is really, don't ever do that. I don't no, care how not, safe you feel. That's not surprising because when we were when we were kids in the 80s, half the time the doors weren't locked. 
Lock your damn doors. <laughs> or live in Texas where we do, because yeah, you feel free to break in, but it's gonna be a go ahead. Be a party. We ha we have a guard Frenchie, so it's not gonna. <laughs> a guard Frenchie and a few <laughs> firearms and a really big wolf. Um, a lovely gentleman named Will Franey rented a room uh, long term at Miss Ollie Russell's boarding house. He was a railroad. This is so hard for me to say for some reason. Railroad worker. There you go. And you got it. And therefore, he, I was practicing actually in the car I'm earlier. I'm not surprised that you were. <laughs> Railroad worker. And therefore kept odd hours And uh, at Miss Russell's house. He knew that he could sleep through the day with without being interrupted until his next shift. So it was a good setup for everybody. And he was available too to help her out with odds and ends. On this night, Will returned home from his shift. Uh, just as his son was coming up, and he fell into bed dog-tired, he was awakened by repetitive sounds of vicious knocking. He rose up and threw on a pair of trousers and walked out in the hallway where he peered through a cracked door. He saw a large man in a dark suit looming over the bed in the usually empty room that was up for rent. The knocking kept up. And although it took Will a few moments to realize what was happening, he began to put the pieces together. Will looked harder and realized that this man was having sex, which was an act that was strictly prohibited by the prim and proper Mrs. Russell. He figured this must be a new tenant and wondered if he should go find Mrs. Russell to tell her about this debauchery. You know, he was a good guy. Uh, but then he caught sight of a woman's... Um, limp leg flopping around and he noticed the color of her dress and it was in fact the navy blue dress that Miss Russell so often wore so Will was obviously sick to his stomach and he returned to his room where he lay confused and helpless as to why Mrs. Russell would be committing such sinful acts as she would say Will laid there helpless as the knocking and grunting ensued and he waited for the nightmare to be over. Uh, he waited until he was it was silent, and he waited until he heard the front door slam. So he figured that the stranger had left. He returned to the room, um, and he saw uh, Mrs. Russell where she remained unmoving on the bed. Upon further investigation, he noticed blood smeared across her face on the bed, and then on the door next to which he stood. Will frantically called the police, but unfortunately his testimony was useless because he didn't see any details of the offender, right? He had no description. But word did quickly spread that the gorilla killer had hit sleepy little Santa Barbara. So sad. So, August 16th, 1926 in Oakland, California, Stephen Nisbet came home to find his wife brutally murdered. A dish towel had used to be to strangle and kill his wife, 50-year-old Mary Nisbet, in their boarding house. Mary was found in her bathroom, stuffed with such force between the toilet and the wall. It was a very small bathroom. She was stuffed with such force between the toilet and the wall that both her hips and shoulders were dislocated. Blood spatter covered every fixture in the small bathroom. As we've seen in other cases, her body had been brutally raped and splayed out in the most vile way. At first, police were actually looking at her husband, Stephen, for this murder. And they actually uh, questioned Stephen for a grueling 40 hours 
before his alibi eventually checked out and he was released. But by this time, Earl had already fled across state lines. And he was now ready to rain down his ape terror in Portland, Oregon. That's his next destination. <laughs> so, Portland's crazy. Um, you think this dude was be, would be exhausted. He's been busy boy, right? He's been really super been busy. bouncing all over the place, killing people. Um, but he rode a box train to Oregon, and he went bananas in Oregon. On Octo three women in three days. On October 19th, 1926, 35-year-old, much younger, uh, Beata Withers, I actually looked up how to uh, pronounce her name, went missing from her property. The following day, the 20th, Virginia Grant disappeared from her property. Then on the 21st, Mabel Flute disappeared from her home as well. All landladies, all with rooms for rent in the Portland area. On the third day, Beata's body was found, strangled and raped. Virginia was eventually found in her basement, forcibly stuffed between a gap between the brick wall and her boiler. Her death was determined to be caused by asphyxi asph asphyxiation by hanging. <laughs> a stroke there. Asphyxiation. You good? It was wildly debated, actually, if her death was a suicide or not. But the, I think, what? Yeah, I know. Well, by hanging, right? But you're stuffed between I know, stuff. I know. And you've been raped. And she'd been raped post-mortem. So I think that it's just, it's still up in the air. He wasn't ever charged with her murder. We'll just, spoiler alert. Um, but I think it's too much of a coincidence, obviously. <laughs> obviously. It's clearly not a suicide. Let's no. just say that much. Um, eventually, Mabel was found. Not because people were still searching for her, but because of the smell. A brave soul living at the boarding house went to investigate the smell in a crawl space and discovered her corpse stuffed into the eaves of the building. Lovely. Despite attempts to calm the public, it was apparent that the gorilla killer had come to Portland now. So he was just wreaking havoc in the West Coast. I mean, he was just, he was just a nightmare. Traveling circus. Um... He returned to San Francisco, which I just think is really weird. Why would you I know. do that? I think that's really weird. Um, I would think that that's where they were on the highest alert because that's where he started and committed most of his murders. Hey, we're not talking like a 10-year time span. We're no. talking like a couple months. Yeah, absolutely. Um, here, back in San Francisco, back at home, he committed at least two more murders that we know of. 35-year-old Anna Edmonds and Mrs. H. Murray, age unknown. Both were graciously showing Earl a room for rent. Both were strangled and raped post-mortem. All eyes were now on California, and by now this was national news. Yeah, that's, what, eight or nine already? Yep. Um, Earl thought it best to take his dark art to Washington State now. And this is where he killed Mrs. Florence Monk in her boarding house. Police instantly, which all the way in Washington, police instantly made the connection to the California guerrilla murders. Surprisingly, Earl returned to Portland again. Where he, yeah, where he, he killed. It was hard to keep up. I mean, he was there was so much back and forth. Well, it's, it, it would make it impossible to keep up because if he kills someone in San Francisco and you're investigating it, and next thing you know, he pops up in Portland, so then everybody goes to Portland, so next thing you know, he's back over here in Washington. It's but like, you know who did keep up? Me. <laughs> A hundred years later. <laughs> and barely. <laughs> okay. So, back in Portland, he killed 40-year-old Blanche Myers. The whole West Coast was seemingly under attack. By this time, police had figured that Earl was hopping trains. They finally figured that out. Geniuses. 
Um, well, he's riding a horse. Traveled state to state. So they had several deputies at every train station near where Earl was known to hit, which by now it's hard to tell. So where does Earl go from here? He knows that the police are on the lookout for him at various train stations. So Earl heads to Iowa. Yeah, they always Iowa. Got, they always go to Iowa. Iowa. Earl decided to throw off his scent, and he hopped a few trains to Iowa. Oh, no. I know they don't have a country accent, but they do in my world. And we're from, like, South Texas, and you're over here like, Iowa. <laughs> okay, so Iowa, November 1926. Almira Brerard, I'm hoping I say that right, 41. So a lot younger nowadays uh, was his next victim. This is such an unfortunate case to me, and it makes me sad, because Almira was, um, A, far away from the West Coast, um, and B, had been in a mental institution due to a breakdown that she had suffered after her divorce. So after she died, police unfortunately ultimately dismissed her death as a suicide, her, which is just crazy to me. Um, her, immediately, her immediate family resisted this, rightfully so, uh, and police reluctantly reopened her case only to just find that there was no definite connection to the guerrilla killings. So her family has not received to this day any kind of justice, unfortunately. Makes me sad. Okay, December 27th, 1926, Earl was thought to have killed 23-year-old Bonnie Pace. She was found strangled and raped and stuffed under her bed in a boarding house that Bonnie and her husband managed. So young, right? Um, Germania, Germania, cool name, Germania Harpin suffered the same fate the very next day in her boarding house. Um, unfortunately, this time, after he had finished with Germania, he heard a, oh, this is bad, trigger warning, child, and like baby, baby, not just child, but baby. So after he finished murdering uh, Germania, he was on his way out, and he heard a familiar sound. It was a crying baby. <clears throat> Earl went up to the nursery where eight-month-old Robert was in his crib. Um, he removed the diaper and strangled baby Robert with it. That's just so sad. Uh, this is a whole new level of depravity. It would have been so easy for Earl just to leave. The baby couldn't identify him, you know? See, I don't, I don't think this dude is thinking with a mental capacity of that level. You know, everything you're hearing about him, all the injuries, he, he seems like a simpleton. Very simple, but also very methodical. He hasn't gotten caught. He's smart enough to know to <clears> run <throat> away, mm -hmm. but he's not, I don't think he's smart enough to, like, oh, honestly evil. understand what's, I don't know, well, yeah, but I don't think he's smart enough to understand what's happening around him or what, like, some of the things that are even going on. Definitely not. He has no impulse control, we know that. Um, okay. He's, he's going to hit your stomping grounds next. Uh, Earl must have been tired because he actually took a break for the rest of the year, but it's December. <laughs> yeah, he took Christmas off. He took Christmas off. He's PTO for Christmas. <laughs> um, he showed up in Philly. Why? Yeah. Why? Are you, why are you, he showed why are you up in Philly? Philly where he murdered uh, Patrick's from Philly, where he murdered uh, Mary McConnell in her boarding house. After murdering and raping Mary, uh, he took his time going through her home and robbing her belongings with the intention of pawning everything off to help with travel, I assume. Uh, I don't think he was going shopping for skincare. That's for damn sure. Probably trying to change his travel routine or something. Oh, it was getting, yeah. Maybe it was too expensive going that far across the country. Yep. And 
all eyes were on him now. Yeah, well, he was going from, like, California to Oregon to Washington back and forth. Now he's going from, like, basically California to Philly, New York. A book I read it said even in the South that almost every newspaper across the country had at least a story about him, you know? I mean, he was just national Well, news. at this point, you know, you're talking about that many killings yep. that quickly all the same way. And the depravity of them. Oh, the yeah. Post-mortem that's rape. And yeah. it's just, who, that's it's even, awful. That's going to bring more attention to it. So then in May, uh, in May, he arrived in Buffalo, New York, where he intended to lay low. But we all know our boy Earl's not going to lay low. Can't play the urges. <laughs> Um, so he struck at least two more times there, um, killing and raping Marie Oswald, Anthony, and Fanny May. Then he made his way to Chicago, G-Town, where his next victim was Mary Sietzma. So, okay. Don't worry. We're getting close to the end of his victims. Um... By now, this was, like I said, nation. it was a nationwide manhunt. Not just news. It was a manhunt for the mysterious guerrilla killer. Every paper featured a story about this crazed, murderous lunatic on the loose. And Earl felt the noose tightening around his neck, so to speak. It was time to take his talents to Canada. Oh, Canada. <laughs> Is that how it goes? I'm just laughing. I was like, well, why not go to Canada? Let's try out there. Um, so, I mean, and they're not even, you know, thinking anything about it. He, they're just thinking those crazy freaking Americans. Crazy Americans have some dude doing all this yeah. crazy stuff down there. Freaking Americans. So, here he charmed his way into the Winnipeg boarding house of Catherine Hill. But he didn't murder her. He just needed a place to stay. So, while wandering the streets... <laughs> you know she went the rest of her life going, what happened? Why was I the only one he didn't kill? I know. Well, he did stay, and I probably should have said that. That was my bad. But he did find boarding houses where he wasn't interested in killing the women to stay there. Oh, okay. While he, you know, hurt people it's in that area. It's just going from. It sounds like he's going from boarding house to boarding house just killing people. And it's like, why he, would he pick this one person? But even still. Even yeah, still, even still. You're going to wonder why he did it to this one and not that one. Exactly. So he did stay at boarding houses, and it was also said that he had a relationship with a bunch of homeless people, too, that would actually cover for them, for him. That's speculated. Of course, I can't Google that because, but in my book I read. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really know. I don't know if you can. Um, so we're coming up on the final, well, not the final, but it was the, the worst. <laughs> I know. The worst hasn't the even happened. Good Lord. The worst hasn't even happened. Okay, so big trigger warning here. Um, so he's staying at Catherine Hills, right? Um, this is his most vicious crime to date. There would be uh, little Lola, 14-year-old, Lola Cowens, um, suffered at the hands of Earl like no one before her and no one after her. So I'm going to spare... The grisly details, for the most part, um, since she's just a child and it's not necessary. But this still sucks and it's bad, even though I'm going to be pretty vague. Um, Lola came from a very poor family. Um, I believe her father was very sick and couldn't work. So she was out on the streets uh, in Winnipeg, desperately, day in, day out, trying to sell stuff that she made, trying to make money to feed her family, her siblings. Um so this douchebag most likely lured her back to his boarding house with the promise of food or money, if I had to guess, but no one knows. Either way, he did lure her. 
and um, back in his room, Earl strangled her. But he didn't kill her just yet. She was tortured for hours, hours. And um, of course, raped. Um, so this was the only victim that he actually had sex with, raped, still alive. Wow. Um, he wanted to not do away with her, so he stuffed her under his bed for the night and went to sleep while she was still alive. But he woke up the next morning and she had succumbed to all of her injuries and she had died. So he had sex with her corpse one more time and stuffed her back into the bed and then left. So uh, Earl left um, while he was murdering and raping um, his next victim, Emily Patterson, Catherine Hill, remember the land, the landlady of the boarding house Earl was previously in, was noticing a foul odor back at her boarding house in the bedroom that Earl once occupied. Little Lola was discovered under the bed, and soon after, Emily Patterson's body was discovered at her Winnipeg boarding house as well. The gorilla killer had officially made his way to Canada. And that is the last of the victims, so Goodness. we can take a break. Um with all the nasty stuff. Um, so Detective George Smith in Winnipeg took the case. Remember, Earl used a different alias everywhere he went. Um, so Smith sent out a list of all the known ones he had used in Winnipeg, which I'm assuming is just a couple of them. And uh, then, remember, people like Catherine Hill saw Earl. So they were able to give a detailed description and they did a composite sketch to every newspaper in the area and a $1,500 reward, was, which was a lot back then, was yeah, posted. Big money back then. Yep, it was promised for anyone who had any info leading to the capture of this monster. So Earl had seen the local papers and he knew he had to leave and he was able to hitch a ride with one Isidore Silverman a kind local scrap metal merchant who had no idea the monster he was giving a ride to. He agreed to drive Earl to Manitoba. On their journey, Isidore stopped at a small general store just to get something to eat. And um, Earl went in also to get something to eat. And it was there that the store clerk, Leslie Morgan, recognized Earl from the composite drawing. So I guess it was pretty accurate. Um, and description on one of the papers that he was selling. He quietly alerted the police. Isidore's carpool was pulled over and Earl was apprehended. Finally. He was placed in a jail cell in Killarney, Manitoba. But he escaped. <laughs> Come on. Like 1920s, do better in your hospitals and your jails from letting people escape. Okay? Do Come better, on. 1920s. What are we doing here? However, Steve needs Steve. He's get Steve's apparently getting new jobs everywhere. Steve, but thank God, Detective Smith was a pretty badass detective, and he he like utilized all the manpower he had. Where you're going to to you... station every warm-bodied policeman available at every train station nearby, and this is so funny to me. Earl was apprehended trying or boarding a train car. That was actually just filled. He thought it was empty, but when he got on, it was filled with armed police pointing guns at him. <laughs> Can you imagine? You'd be like, oh, shit. Uh, my bad, guys. 
Oh, wrong car. <laughs> oh, my ticket's in car five. I'm sorry. Do you guys know where the bathroom is? Oh, this is where the snack bar was. Yeah, but oh, I choice by Earl. Okay, so that's it for Earl. Earl was indicted for the murder. Murder. This is sad. Of only Emily Patterson, that was the only one they could they could prove. Um, at first, uh, he denied any responsibility, claiming, and he claimed this is a direct quote from Earl himself. For such a godly man, such crimes would be impossible. That just sounds smug. You don't, you don't even have to read it smug. It just sounds smug. Sounds like smug. He is smug. How are you... Yeah, dude's going to say he's a godly man. Douche nozzle. Word spread... <laughs> That's, a good one. That's a really good <laughs> one, actually. Word spread across... I learned from you. I know you did. I'm proud of you. Word spread across from the U.S. of his capture and detectives from all across the U.S., they were, of course, visiting Earl with their, you know, cold cases, trying to get a confession for their unsolved murders. But Earl never once confessed to any. <sighs> Makes me sick. So, he was sent to stand trial for the murder of Emily, 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 hello, Emily Patterson, which is just so sad for all the other victims. Um, he's just such a piece of crap. But he's going down anyway, so... You would just think that he'd be able to give his fa- his families a little bit of closure, especially if he's such a godly man, right? At his chi- trial, as I said before, his wife Mary came to speak in his favor, which is just beyond me. Uh, regardless, and thankfully, he was found guilty and sentenced to be hanged on, yes, hanging was still a thing, on January 13th, 1928. His final words. You ready for this? His final words before death were, and I quote, I stand innocent before God and man. I forgive those who have wronged me and ask forgiveness of those I have injured. God have mercy. Wow. I would have just, if I was the hangman, I would have just cut him off as soon as he was like, I stand, hang him. (laughs) Dude. That's what I would have done. You earned this. Just <laughs> That's enough, douche nozzle. Yeah, so that is the story of Earl Leonard Farrell Nelson Gorilla Man Dark Strangler. Gorilla Killer. So this dude killed 22 people. At least. Convicted of, of one. one. Of one. Which is so sad. It's sad, but at least, you know, it's sad for the families that didn't get their closure back then. But at least... He died for it. Well, isn't it also amazing that you don't hear more about him? He was so prolific and yeah, I think, such a Yeah, I think you don't hear so much about him, right? You think about all these other crazy serial killers. You know, obviously your most famous, Ted Bundy's, Ed Gein's, you know, Richard Ramirez, mm-hmm. you know, um, Green River Killer, all these guys. You hear about them so much more because, yeah, they did some really sick, depraved things. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about an entire story about necrophilia and pedophilia. That was his whole identity. That's what I'm saying. No, I don't think anybody wants to glamorize that in any way, shape, or form. Not that Mm -hmm. they're glamorizing, you know, in these movies, you know, like uh, the one we watched about Ted Bundy or Mm -hmm. the Leatherfaces. They're not glamorizing these killers. They're telling these stories. Right. uh, Obviously to make profit. But this is just like a whole other level of like... Depravity. Just... Can you tell this story without it absolutely sickening everybody? No, and I and I would like to note that I spent a lot of time editing out just unnecessary details. And I think you did a good job of it. I mean, you because gave this, this I, story, I do think that all the victims deserve 
world to know that they went through pure care and hell. 100%. But it's just, this guy was absolutely so depraved. It was disgusting. I will say that um, next episode, I'm super excited for who the guy's going to be. You are going to be. I mean, I can say that about everything. But I'm a little worried because we started the entire podcast history off with a dude that kills and then rapes dead bodies. So I can give you a hint. It's going to be more modern. I won't only do old cases. I just think it's cool because not a lot of info is out there, and you really got to dig. But um, yeah. So thank you to all of our one and one point five listeners that um chose to tune in and you got this far in the podcast which i bet zero of you listeners did <laughs> but thank you nonetheless if you were here if you did if you did make it all the way through we love yeah. you love you love thank you, you. love and, you mom uh, and you know we're always down for you know we're, ideas or yeah or we're definitely going to just just uh stay tuned and we're gonna create either a Facebook or Instagram page where you can do case recommendations. We want to hear from you. And we also want to hear feedback, good and bad. You know, did we ramble too much? What What? What are your thoughts? We, we just want to make it better because we love doing this. It's super fun. It's a hobby for us. So uh, anyway, peace out. Uh, have a good week. And um, I'm going to go drink a beer after hearing that dude's story. Holy crap. Don't uh, commit <laughs> necrophilia. <laughs> After you murder people. After you murder people. Don't do either or. Oh, that sounded really bad. Is it after you murder people? Like, it's okay if you don't know. We should just quit ordering. Yeah, we're going to quit. Okay, bye.